Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. And saving for an emergency fund, because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. The Peter Schiff Show. Earlier in the week, I made a podcast, and I was wondering whether or not the volatility that we were seeing in the markets may have been portending a change of trend. And it looks right now that that certainly could be the case. The Dow Jones finished down 315 points on Friday to cap the worst week for the Dow in over three years. In fact, all of the major market indexes lost ground. Oil prices also finished below $58 a barrel. We closed at 57 49 down another $2.46 on Friday. We're now down about 40% in oil prices in a very short period of time. And, you know, at the rate prices are dropping, uh, it's hard to say, you know, where the bottom is. People are talking, you know, $50, $40 a barrel, $35 a barrel. There's no way to know just how low this price could go in the short run. Uh, And so I think we need to be prepared for that. And I talked a lot about the oil market in the podcast I recorded yesterday. So if you haven't heard that one, give a listen to it. Although I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in this podcast. But let me go back and talk about the markets and what we might have to expect next week. Because, of course, you know, we've had some week Fridays. And whenever I see these big week Fridays, it's always, you know, reminiscent of, uh, 1987, when you had that big down day on Friday, and then you had the Black Monday. And recently, though, we've had these big down Fridays. And for whatever reason, uh, Monday ends up being a rally. Something happens. uh, Somebody says something somewhere in Asia, and uh, the markets uh, come back from the abyss. We'll see uh, if, uh, you know, they catch that kind of a break this time around, because the technicals on these markets look pretty weak because remember we rallied very far very quickly and now we're kind of like in no man's land if you look at some of these charts meaning there's a lot of air uh, beneath the market before you get into some real technical support Uh, so there certainly is the potential for another big decline in the markets on on monday so we'll have to see you know i spoke in an earlier podcast about gold and the stock market and how you know gold prices are actually up and gold had its best week even though it didn't really gain any more ground on thursday and friday it had its best week in a long time this week certainly relative to equities which went way down and gold prices were up and i was speculating that you know maybe before the end of the year the price of gold could end up outperforming the u.s stock market for 2014, which would probably be uh, quite a story in and of itself and shock a lot of people who just assume that gold's had such a horrible year. But remember, I said I wanted to I was wondering how many stock markets in the world actually 
beat gold, actually outperformed gold in 2014. And it turns out, other than the United States, there's only a dozen markets out of over 60 that have beaten gold this year. And I'll, I'll, I'll read them off right now so you know what they were. First, there's the United States, but then Argentina, Denmark, Turkey, Egypt, Qatar, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Shanghai market in China, India, Thailand, New Zealand, the Philippines, and Vietnam. Those are the only markets that beat gold. Now, you'll notice there's a lot of major economies, major stock markets that are not on this list. And of course, most of those markets not only didn't beat gold, but they substantially, substantially underperformed the price of gold. So for the vast majority of uh, investors, I mean, people living uh, in other countries, they would have been better off just buying gold than investing in their local stock markets. But, you know, we'll see. We still have a few weeks left of December, so maybe quite a few stock countries are going to drop off that list. In fact, maybe even the United States will drop off that list. Who knows? Because we do have uh, a few more uh, weeks left of the year. Now, the stock market that sold off, it started out with a rally again on economic data that came out. This time, the, the news that everybody jumped on was the Michigan consumer sentiment number that came out, and it was the highest reading since mid-2006. And again, we've had a number of these sentiment confidence indicators that have come out good. And, and I think most of that is due to all the hype in the media and the constant uh, drumbeat of how great things are in this turnaround. And I think it's sinking in. But I also think that the Republican uh, victory in the, the midterms, where the Republicans now have majorities in both the House and the Senate, Certainly, I think a lot of Republican voters who may have been downbeat because they thought there was no hope, uh, you know, Obama was president, uh, the Democrats had the Senate, so uh, Republicans couldn't do much. Maybe these Republican voters are more optimistic uh, than they were in the past. Maybe they think, aha, there's some hope. The Republicans have the Senate. Of course, that optimism is unwarranted. There is no hope there. Republican Congress isn't going to do anything. They're going to cooperate with President Obama. They're not going to oppose him. A perfect example happened this week uh, when the president and the Republicans worked together to pass the continuing resolution to avert the government shutdown. Right. I mean, I just assume see the Republicans shut the government down to force meaningful spending cuts. Instead, they led the charge. You had more Democrats opposing the resolution than Republicans, mainly because uh, you had this provision that allowed Wall Street firms to trade derivatives in their FDIC uh, insured subsidiaries. See, the Dodd-Frank bill had had said that they couldn't do that, and now they put in an exemption that was led by uh, Hines, Jim Hines, uh, who's my congressman in my district uh, that represents, you know, Greenwich, Connecticut and the neighboring towns. Obviously, he's in the hip pocket of the banks that fund his campaign. But of course, you know, the next time when these derivatives blow up, you know, someone's going to say, well, you see, it's because of deregulation. No, the problem is the FDIC insured accounts. There should be no government insured Bank accounts. You know, the, the government wasn't always insuring bank accounts, and it doesn't need to insure them. No, I, I, I mentioned that list of stock markets this year that are beating gold. 
One of those countries on that list is New Zealand. And I know for a fact that New Zealand doesn't have any uh, insured bank deposits by the government. They used to a long time ago, but they abolished uh, the insurance and it didn't ruin the New Zealand banking industry. If anything, it helped it. And of course, uh, deposit in- insurance didn't exist in the United States until uh, Franklin Roosevelt. So we had a pretty uh, sound banking system before Roosevelt uh, enacted these um, uh, these guarantees. So it's ultimately the guarantees that are going to be the problem, not the fact uh, that the banks are playing with derivatives, but the fact that the government is guaranteeing uh, the institutions that are gambling with those derivatives. But let's let's get back to uh, the market. So the um, the sentiment numbers came out and the market rallied. Right. And the sentiment numbers came out before the market. Um, actually, no. Right. After the market opened that we had this rally. But the rally was short lived because the market started to sell off. And ultimately, you know, closed on the lows of the day, which is another technical problem. The market closed uh, right on the lows, oil on the lows. The dollar was mixed, right? The dollar made new multi-year highs against the Canadian dollar. It was up against the uh, Australian dollar. The Canadian dollar getting particularly hard hit based on the importance of energy to the Canadian economy. Uh, but the dollar was down against the euro, down against the Swiss franc, and it was relatively flat against the Japanese yen as it was flat against gold. But we'll see um, next week, because I made the point that to me it looks like the dollar is trading more as a risky asset than a riskless asset. It seems to me that the euro, uh, the Swiss franc, the yen uh, might be the assets that everybody rushes to and gold to the extent that we get a big stock market sell off next week. And certainly the, the technicals uh, would lead you to believe that that's possible. But also, you've got to look at what's going on in the, the oil market. And to me, it's not so much that thinking about how weakness in the oil sector could uh, cause a recession. And I, you know, I'm gonna, I talked about that in the, in the podcast yesterday. But what is more concerned to me is that oil prices going down are just indicative of what is going to happen now that the Fed is out of the picture or taking itself out of the picture, right? Whenever the Federal Reserve or Ben Bernanke would have claimed credit, you know, for the increase in the stock market or the increase in the real estate market, he said, hey, QE is doing that. And he, he accepted credit because everybody likes the stock market going up or the real estate market going up. So Ben Bernanke always wanted to you know, take the credit for that. But I always said, wait a minute, but then you have to accept the blame for rising oil prices or rising food prices. Because my point was that prices were rising because of cheap money. It wasn't just asset prices, but some goods prices were rising as well, like oil. Now, oil prices are falling. Why? I think the main reason is because of the Fed. The belief that the Fed is going to raise rates, the fact that they've already reduced QE, and that the dollar has risen based on not only the, re- the ending of the QE program, but based on the anticipation of higher interest rates and a shrinking balance sheet. So oil prices have come down. But stock prices, real estate prices, bond prices all have to come down too because they were all lifted by the same force. Remember I said that, you know, 
the people who think the Fed can take away, uh, you know, QE and leave the recovery standing. My joke was like, well, that's like trying to not like trying to pull the tablecloth out from under the dishes, right? Which which magicians will do. You yank the tablecloth and the, the, the dishes don't break. I said it's like trying to pull the table out from under the cloth and expecting the cloth and the dishes to levitate in midair. It couldn't happen. You see, oil is not the only thing sitting on that table. You've got the real estate market, you've got the stock market, and you've got the bond market. You've got everything supported by this QE 0% interest rate table. And the Fed can't yank it out without everything falling. Now, why did oil prices fall first, right, before the stock market or the bond market or the real estate market? I don't know, maybe it's because oil prices are more directly impacted by the exchange rate of the dollar. Or maybe it's just the nature of that market. The oil market has been historically volatile. There's big price swings. Maybe that was just uh, where it happened. I, I didn't necessarily anticipate that oil would be the first casualty of the end of QE. But it's not going to be the last. And of course, the oil bubble, if it was a bubble, and of course, all of this is going to be a bubble if the Fed does what it says it's going to do. But I don't believe the Fed is going to do what it says it's going to do. I believe it's going to do what they've done. I don't believe what they say. I look at what their history of, of action. And so I think they're going to do a lot more QE. So I think the market's got this wrong. But if the Fed does do what everybody expects that they do, then all of these markets were bubbles and they're all going to burst. And the oil one is going to end up being small comparison to the reflated real estate bubble, the stock bubble, or the bond bubble, right? And the sovereign, not just, you know, bonds of private companies, but sovereign credit, right? It's all this one gigantic bubble that makes the bubbles of, you know, 2008 or 1999, you know, look like just little, little, little bubbles that you blow, a little kid would blow out of uh, his... Um, out of you know little little you know bubble things you know the the suds and you know as opposed to what this is is just like a huge you know air balloon compared to a little bubble that that a child would blow and of course so when this much bigger bubble pops that is the concern that this is a precursor it's not that the problems in the oil market are just going to spill over into these other markets. You know, again, it reminds me of the subprime when they were saying, well, is the subprime problem contained to subprime uh, or is it going to infect uh, the prime market? And my point at the time was it's not about contagion. I said that the entire mortgage market is sick. It's just that the symptoms showed up first in subprime and it was only a matter of time before they showed up in the prime market. So it, did, it wasn't about trying to contain it or would it be contagious. It was already a done deal. It was a foregone conclusion. There was no way you could stop it. You couldn't just isolate it. Everybody was sick. Well, the same thing is happening here with oil. Oil prices going down. It's not like, well, maybe it'll be some kind of domino that will make these other asset prices go down. No, all the asset prices have to come down. They were all sitting on that table and the Fed yanked that table away. And it just so happens that oil prices came down first, but they're not going to come down last. And it's not going to be the only market that comes down. But I wanted to you know, talk 
going a little bit about the 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 blog I did yesterday on oil and is it a bubble and if so is it contained because I noticed a lot of comments on that um, on my on the YouTube channel which I looked at and people are thinking oh Peter Schiff he's some kind of a hypocrite he wants to have it both ways because first he said rising oil prices were bad and now he's saying foil, falling oil prices are bad how can he have it both ways right it's either one or the other well let me explain because that's the nature of bubbles right as the bubble is inflating it's bad and when it bursts it's bad of course in the long run it's good if a bubble bursts but in the short run it's painful that's why central bankers try to keep the bubbles going as long as possible because they don't want the pain look when real estate prices were going up in the real estate bubble i pointed out that that was bad that higher prices were distorting decision making people were buying that should have been renting banks were lending on uh, inflated prices and this was going to create tremendous risk when the prices come down so I knew that rising real estate prices were bad, but I also knew that falling real estate prices were also bad because falling real estate prices would expose all the mistakes that were made based on the anticipation of rising real estate prices. Yes, falling real estate prices were good for people who wanted to buy homes, but you had to understand the dynamic of the economy. The same thing is true with oil prices. Were rising oil prices bad for consumers? Absolutely. Why? Because if you have to spend more money on oil, you have less money to spend on other things, and your standard of living is lower. No question about it that rising oil prices in general hurt people who buy oil, just like rising prices hurt everybody, right? Falling oil prices, is that benefit to the consumer? Absolutely. From, if you strictly look at it from the consumer's perspective, falling oil prices are a good thing. It, it provides relief. It now frees up money so that you can buy other things. But you can't look at that in isolation. You have to look at what's going on in the economy. You have to look at an industry and infrastructure and credit that have been extended based on the belief that higher oil prices were here to stay. You can't ignore that, right? This is not, oil prices aren't going down in a vacuum. Yes, it is good for the consumer, but there is a big problem here for a segment of the economy that is large enough that when you have to dismantle this industry, which you would have to do if oil went down to $30, $40 a barrel and stayed there, right? Then you're, you can't do that without having a recession. That's the point. Now, will lower oil prices cushion the blow of the recession for people? Sure, but it's not going to prevent the recession. Just like $35 oil or uh, didn't prevent the 2008 Great Recession, oil prices collapsed then too. And yes, those prices provided relief for the people who lost their jobs, but it didn't prevent them from losing their jobs, right? You know, think about all the workers who lost their jobs in construction and all the, uh, the realtors uh, and uh, just people associated with the real estate industry. Well, the same thing is going to happen with people associated with the oil industry. They're going to lose their jobs, and there are, con there are plenty of businesses that depend on oil workers spending money, and so those businesses. So there are going to be subsections of the economy that are going to go into a free fall. And yes, in the long run, right, is it going to be, would it be better if, if uh, the oil industry was a bubble, is it better to dismantle that industry 
you know, sure. Yes, that's always, it's always the case. If mistakes are made based on a bubble, based on false signals sent by the central bank, it is always good in the long run to deal with those problems, but it's always painful in the short run, which is why governments don't want it to happen. <clears throat> but again, the bigger issue that I want to make, because I don't believe that oil prices are going to stay down, because I don't believe that the Fed is out of the QE business. I think it's just getting started. I think QE4 will be bigger than QE1, 2, and 3 combined. So I think oil prices are going to make a new high. But people haven't connected those dots yet. That's the problem. You know, I, I assumed that they would have connected them. You know what it really reminds me of? I don't know if, you, you know, if you've seen the Seinfeld episode where uh, George basically lies to his future in-laws about having a place in, in the Hamptons. And, um, and so they basically find out that he's lying, that he doesn't have a place in the Hamptons. But, you know, they, they, don't, want to, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that they know that, that he's lying. And I think George, and George, if I remember, George knows that they know, but he doesn't, he's waiting for them to, to say you don't have a place in the Hamptons. And he keeps the pretense up to the point where they actually get in the car and they're driving to the Hamptons. And he's telling them about his house and he's telling them about his horses. He's got, you know, Prickly Pete. And I mean, he names these horses and he, he and they, then they want to stop and, and pick, them, pick up a gift uh, for to get to the house. And they, they both know that they're lying and they're in this car. But they're they're pushing it to the max, right? Nobody, no, you know, everybody wants to pretend that there's this house. Well, you know, I, I didn't think when I first started talking about how you know the Fed was bluffing with uh, the taper and the rate hike. You know, I didn't think they'd take it this far. I didn't know that we would drive, that we'd end up in the Hamptons, that that everybody was going to sit in this car pretending, right, that the Fed can. Uh, raise interest rates, NQE. It's like George and his in-laws in that car driving to East Hampton, even though they all know there is no house there. But nobody wants to admit it. And this car ride has gone on a lot longer than I thought, to the point that you know Janet Yellen is talking about her solarium and, and her horses that are awaiting for us in the Hamptons. Right? They're, they're, they are keeping up the pretense that they are going to raise interest rates, right? That, that QE is over. And as a result of the fact that they've pushed it this far, right? Well, you know, we've got the oil market succumbing, the dollar rallying, but these other markets are going to go too, right? People have just been living in, in a sense of delusion to think that the Fed could now normalize rates and all these asset bubbles that have been inflated, aren't going to deflate in the absence of the Fed. So just with the, the oil market, and that, that's a point I was making in the other podcast, the oil market, even in isolation, I think it is big enough that if it turned out that oil was the only bubble, which I doubt, I think it's the smallest of them, but if oil was the only one, just the bursting of that bubble will do more damage to the economy than I think the bursting of the dot-com bubble in the 1990s, which on its own 
pushed the U.S. economy into recession and required or resulted in a rescue mission by the Federal Reserve slashing interest rates to 1%, which produced the, the, the housing bubble. But I think that it's not just, again, this isolated incident. You have to understand that this is indicative of a problem. You know, the Fed is juggling multi-bubbles, multi-bubbles. It's got all these balls in the air. And just because the oil bubble dropped doesn't mean it's going to be able to successfully juggle the remaining bubbles. Now, the rising oil price was not necessarily something the Fed wanted, right? The Fed didn't want oil prices to go up, but they went up. They wanted real estate prices to go up and they wanted stock prices to go up, but you can't really necessarily target your inflation and only have it go exactly where you want. It's going to go all over, you know, all over the place. But when you try to take away the money, it's, 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 it's not just going to go away from oil. And I would argue that in reality, the stock bubble and real estate bubble and bond bubble are more dependent on cheap money than the oil market. More dependent. And these bubbles are bigger and will do more economic damage when they pop. But the fact of the matter is just one popping is enough. But you have to understand, and again, people are talking about now, will weak oil prices cause the stock market to go down? That's not the real issue. Oil prices and stock prices will be going down for the same reasons. Right? It's, it's, the, it's the tide lifting all boats, or rather sinking all boats as the tide goes away. And that tide being the flood of cheap money that was provided by the U.S. Fed. And yes, they're still providing cheap money in Japan, and maybe they'll provide it in Europe, but it needs to come from the United States. We're the reserve currency. It's the U.S. Fed that needs to be doing QE if you want to keep the party going. And, of course, I, I don't think we do. I think the party needs to end. And when it does end and you get collapses in other markets, you know, it might end up being that the oil price goes down a lot lower. Right? We could have a much bigger drop in stock prices than in real estate prices. I mean, that in oil prices. And oil will most likely overshoot to the downside. I mean, that's probably uh, historically normal. So wherever we end up going as the low, we're not going to settle down there. Even if the Fed um, ends quantitative easing and raises rates, I think the ultimate damage to the price of oil will be a lot less than the damage to the stock market, the real estate market, and of course, eventually, the bond market. And of course, what will happen... Right. If the U.S. oil industry is dismantled due to a reduction in the price of oil, the supply of oil coming from the United States will dry up and oil prices will once again rise because the cost of production has gone up. I mean, that's I mean, there are very few uh, producers around the world that can actually make money at 40 or 50 dollar oil. That's a reality in today's world. Uh, thanks to all of the increase in production costs uh, that have been resulted in no small part from the Fed's monetary policy. So uh, we, we're not even if oil prices go down temporarily, they can't stay down because of the overall global production costs. But in the short run, anything can happen and anything is happening. But to expect 
that the only market that is going to experience uh, the convulsions, the withdrawal symptoms from the end of quantitative easing and the increase in interest rates is ridiculous. And it just shows how people just do not appreciate the severity of what's going on. They don't appreciate the enormous damage and distortions that the Federal Reserve has done with its monetary policy and how painful the end of that policy is. Everybody's been celebrating and claiming victory uh, that QE has worked and they saved the day. It hasn't worked at all, right? It's made us more dependent than ever on that drug, which means it's going to be more painful than ever when they take it away. That doesn't mean I'm opposed to the Fed taking it away. That's exactly what they have to do. Unfortunately, they are not going to do it because once the stock market starts to scream, they don't really care so much about the oil market. But when you see it in the stock market, if the Dow really starts to go down, if we take out the lows from a couple of months ago, and then you start to see it in the, in the, in the real estate market, and now these consumer sentiment numbers turn around because a lot of these upbeat numbers have to do with the rising stock market, right? People, even if you don't own stocks, somehow the news is positive. You see the stock market going up. Well, it must be a good sign. Well, when the stock market's going down, that's a bad sign. So the Fed is going to come back, and it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a game changer because we're, we can't, there is no house in East Hampton. So the one thing we knew that uh, George couldn't do is he couldn't actually bring his in-laws to the house. They can all pretend that the house existed all they wanted. But since the house wasn't there, they could never get there. So the Fed can pretend that it can normalize policy, that it can raise interest rates, it doesn't need QE. It can talk about it all it wants, but we can never get there because that house simply doesn't exist. Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. Looking beyond the media hype can open a world of broader investing ideas. Euro-Pacific Capital is a registered investment advisor that offers stock-focused wealth management services that closely follow the strategy of our founder and CEO, Peter Schiff. We concentrate on those countries that are more closely in tune with Peter's vision of how capitalism is supposed to work. And these investments are not hard to find, provided you know where to look. Isn't it time you change the channel and let Euro-Pacific put a little reality back into your portfolio? If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through Euro-Pacific Bank at europacbank.com. Euro-Pacific Capital and Euro-Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.